The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. There's a couple things. I mean, I go back to, we now we buy legacy American manufacturing companies because what I learned back then was the guys who were, or the guys and girls that were at retirement age, nobody was listening to them. Right. Everyone was looking at them and saying, oh, your ideas are old. They don't match the matter market. Well, here we are 15, 16 years old. And we learned that the people that would give us the most information were the people that everyone was casting out to pasture. Got it. And they were geniuses. They yeah, had, seen they had the most experience, of course. Yeah. So we just, that, that was our, our network. of. And it was funny because they'd like pass us around as cute little kids. Like, hey, you, you got to see And they're teaching you things, right? If you were 30, they probably would have been like, get out of here. Yeah. But we were so just, they were so green and frankly right. dumb that they were like, right. yeah, okay, just help these poor kids out. Right. And we, we've continued that till this day. Interesting. With the, with the companies that we buy these companies from is, we keep all the owners on as advisors because they've seen everything. Like yeah. in the last 20 years, they've seen a 9-11 crash, a dot-com crash. Right. They've seen um, the 2008. They saw COVID. I mean, that's just in the last 20, two decades well, they, of their in careers. The 80s, they saw the tremendous stock market crash in the late 80s. Yeah. And that most of them have seen that. So like, yeah. they have seen so much, and yet people don't listen. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, I'm Jason Azevedo. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at MRCA. We're preserving American legacy manufacturing and bringing investors rewards. Okay, so welcome to another episode of the podcast. If you're listening on your favorite podcast audio platform, be sure to leave us a good review so we can keep sharing good information like we're sharing with our guests today. And if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the subscribe button and like us as well. So today we have a special guest, Jason Azevedo. Did I say that correctly, Jason? You got it perfect. Okay. From Texas. You're out in Texas. I'm in New Jersey. And we're going to tell your story today. So maybe you want to share you know, your background, where you grew up a little bit, and then we'll get into all the other stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Mitch. Glad uh, you're here. I'm excited to kind of hang out and talk a bit today. Yeah, definitely. So my story is kind of different than a lot of people's it's you got to kind of I'll set the, the stage because there was a couple major things going on when I started my career. Good. But first off out of the gate, I was 15 years old. Okay. Uh, I decided I was going to start my first company at 15, a kind of a crazy time. Then add in at the exact same time, it's February of 2007. So right before markets, right, just completely Real estate bl- just blew up, go yep. to hell. Yep. In addition to that, and incredibly important at the same time, my father was working in a factory that had a, and he'd worked there for twenty eight years. 
that this factory was every bad thing you could think of in a factory. The workers hated the management, management hated the workers. It was dimly lit, dangerous machines. They were getting traded by companies left and right. So he got laid off seven or eight times in, in about as many years. This is all in and Texas? They, no, this was in California. Oh, so California. We, okay. Uh, originally grew up in Silicon Valley, California. Okay. Watched that whole that whole environment and valley come up actually around me. Yeah. And it was interesting because we're my brother and I are starting a manufacturing company in February of 2007. We're watching you're 15. What, and we're fi- I'm 15, okay. he's 20. Yeah, we sure. Why two, wait? You know. Exactly. <laughs> we're two kids who don't know anything about anything basically and we decide to start a manufacturing company and at the time we we're it was an apparel manufacturer okay so you're gonna make clothes yeah we're making clothes print, okay. and largely it started as printing t-shirts but quickly okay, yeah. entered the clothing sector okay so we're getting into this and we've got our dad going through this other thing on the, on the other side and we're telling ourselves we're never going to be that if right. we're going to be in this space we're never ever going to treat our employees the way that they're being treated we're not going to run our facilities like they're being ran. Right. So, nor did you want to ever be in the position that your dad's now in, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it, yeah. We saw what that, what happens on the family side when you do something like that and the community side. Yeah. So we start building this company and come fall of 2007, the market starts to crack. Yeah. And we have every person in the world telling us, don't start a business right now. Right. You're gonna you're gonna lose everything. Right. It wasn't just real estate. It was having a ripple effect on a lot. Oh, of yeah. It was, it was destroying everything. Yeah. And every person is. This is a horrible time. You're young kids. You don't know what you're gonna do. And the interesting part it was every person who had never done it themselves telling you know, us that. That's always the case. Well, because they're they're you know they're nervous to do it themselves, and so then they reflect that on you. And they yeah. don't want you to get hurt either that they think they would get hurt if they did it. So that's, that's human nature. Totally. Not very and, supportive, but it's human. <laughs> well, and every person who had done it is right. like, Hey, every, every market good time. sucks to start. Right. <laughs> exactly. There's always risks involved. If it's not this, it'll be something else, you know? Yeah. I, I remember specifically a person uh, told my brother and I and that they were actually uh, uh, an associated family member. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you guys are going to lose everything you have. And we kind of sat and turned to each other and he started almost giggling. And we're like, we, we don't have, have anything. $600. Right. Well, we got nothing to lose. It's perfect time. <laughs> and, and it clicked suddenly. We're like, if there was ever a time to bet, it's now. Right. Of course. You know, it's, it's interesting, though, that you recognize the dichotomy between the people that were telling you this. And the people that were saying who had done it that were saying, you know, listen, Jason, there's risks all the time. I mean, you can't wait for all the lights to turn green to head towards town. And I think a lot of times we need to take a step back, right? When people are telling us, don't do that, be careful, don't make a mistake. You gotta look at who are they, what have they accomplished in their life? You want to take advice from the right people. Yeah. And I mean, I remember someone who it was actually a, a dear friend had actually lost everything at one point. Yeah. I mean, just went from an 800 person company to nothing, actually yeah. negative, nothing bankruptcy. Yeah. And I remember asking him, I'm like, would you do it again? Yeah. He goes, I did it two more times. Yeah. Right. I know people that have <laughs> lost it and got it back four times. Yeah. And he, he anything he would tell us during these things, we'd listen to him through anything because right. he, he knew what it felt like the whole right. time. And you take risks. And if you lose, it's a learning experience and you can build it up again. Well, and what it taught us is to run companies and especially manufacturing companies. The, most people think of manufacturing and they, they've got a, a very old mentality of what it is. Yeah, right. And we're like, hey, guys, a factory nowadays is not your 19th century factory. They look nothing like a 20th century factory. Right, right. You're not up in the big box up there looking down on the floor and ringing the bell. No. It's not. Different. Yeah, th- this is not like. Yeah. This is not like Charles Dickens and like dirt right. floors and exactly. tiny Tim's losing a lo- arm. Like right. none of that. That's just not the case anymore. Right. So when we started our private equity fund, our whole focus was, hey, let's go into these very, very legacy U.S. Com- uh, manufacturing companies. They're good right. companies putting up good profits right. with good people. But they're still and- operating like it's 40 years ago. 
Well, and yeah, a right. lot of them have tons of opportunity in front of them, but the owners, they're aging out. They, they right. Yeah. So they're, you know, yeah. yeah and, and how many people are being told right now, go buy manufacturing companies. Right. So, but they're great businesses. So we, from the private equity side, we buy them now. And the good thing is because of our past, we know how to run them in pretty much any market space. Right. And we build these up and start interconnecting them and making sure that they flow and bringing them into modern manufacturing. And you just watch everything from the facilities to the people just change because they're, they're used to some of them very grueling jobs. And we're like, Hey, these don't have to be grueling anymore. That, right, that's not, right. yeah. it's not the reality anymore yeah. in these spaces. Right. But that, so, but that, that was a lot of experience. I mean, that was years of doing this. So you're back now, you're 15. Your brother luckily was 20. So at least he was a adult. He could do more things. And <laughs> so funny well, story. Real quick. Yeah. Our first get trade started. Show? I mean, what do you do? You cut some material and pin it up on a wall. I mean, so we started, like I said, we, we had $600 each. Right. Um, uh, we, we teamed up with a, a, uh, another person that we knew that had the very base pieces of equipment to print a t-shirt. Right. It was like graphic tees, that type of stuff. Kind of that. Yeah. That at, at first. Yeah. And what happened was graphic tees come right. 2008. Nobody's, nobody's buying a family reunion shirt when they just lost their job. Yeah. So that market drops out. Okay. So we realize that the market that we should be in is the most complicated pain in the butt stuff to do. So we decided to go the exact opposite direction of a normal, uh, normal group. And we went and tried to learn the most complex and try the most complex process as possible. And it was cool because at that time, just starting out, we were buying equipment for pennies on the dollar and we're buying really old equipment. Literally. And what the equipment do? Uh, to print t-shirts, to all, sew things, to got it. print uh, like all sorts all of All apparel stuff. manufacturing, different yeah. kinds. Okay. And so we're buying stuff that is from the 50s, 60s, learning to be mechanics because we have to get it all to run correctly. Right. And just kind of built it by re- recycling the profits back in. But what was really interesting is because we had gone to the ultimate complexity, we, we were doing stuff that no other people would even touch. Right. All of these very high-end clients in the U.S., nobody's doing cheap stuff because the cheap giveaways, when the economy is that bad, they're looked at as just a waste of money. Right. But if you can come up with something crazy and do it for a, a regular price, they're like, hey, you know, the marketing team's like, hey, I don't have much of a budget this year, but I'm going to use it on this one crazy thing, hoping it works, this trick pony. So we started getting in on at these companies and these clothing companies that we're just looking for that trick pony that the most complex thing possible so that they would at least stand out with the limited amount of merch they were going to put out. So you were, you were manufacturing for them, like contract manufacturing type of stuff. Correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we started getting into this kind of crazier stuff. Well, what we started to learn was we were building systems to manufacture this stuff because it was so complicated. It wasn't just a three inputs of resources and it pops out of a unit. We start developing out these systems of how do you take a bunch of kids? Right. I mean, at one point we had 25 employees. Our average shop age was 18. So okay. young <laughs> take kids. all these kids have no experience. We're trying to like put together this company and it, we just ended up having to create tons and tons of systems because you would have t- some turnover because guys would get a girlfriend and Hey, right. they, I don't have They're to reliable at that age. Yeah. So how did so, you get a lot of your jobs? What were you I mean, what kind of context did you have? How'd you get into these companies? So we, we were fortunate to meet good people early on. Uh, we, okay. we, had, we had connections with the, the high school that I was attending. So we're doing their stuff um, that we knew a, a very prominent local soccer club that our family was involved with. And then in addition to that, we would, I remember us going to a trade show. We had a 10 by 10 booth. It was me and my brother standing in this booth. Right. And all of a sudden the two of us, are just kind of very focused, very prim and proper. And everyone's like, what do you do? The most complex stuff you possibly can. And they're like, oh yeah, we hear that from everybody. And we pull out a sample and they go, well, what, what is that? We're like, it's stuff other people won't touch. Uh, And that was our sales pitch. Can you give me an example since I don't really know the business? Like what, what makes it complex? What, what kind, what are we talking about? 
So I'll, I'll give you an example. We did yeah. one for a company one time that they uh, they basically found malware in uh, in products. Okay. So we did these shirts for them. They had this massive trade show booth, and they had an event the night before, and they gave out thousands of shirts. And they said, "Stop as by a corporate booth. promotion." Yeah, it was a corporate promotion. Yeah, got it. Totally. And they give out thousands of these shirts and said, okay. "Stop by our booth tomorrow, wearing the shirt, and we'll give you something." Okay. Okay. So as you walk into the booth, there's archways at every single entrance that are okay. all uh, black light. Got it. We have impregnated the shirt with a photo, uh, photochromatic ink that uh, responds to the black light. So they come in wearing just this normal corporate shirt. And all of these malware terms suddenly start going off as soon as you're in their booth. And they're shining on the shirt in 20 different places. And people are like, what is going on? And like, why is this moving? And, and they, they won every award at that trade show that year. And not, and, and not very few guys could do this kind of stuff? Most people wouldn't even know that the technology existed. We had to actually go back to the late 70s, early 80s to find the chemical that could do this. Because that was the last time people really were into like black light crazy. So it was uh, a certain kind of ink or a certain kind of additive to the ink. It was an additive that we were able to get to embed in the shirt. So we're doing that. We did one uh, one time. It was this giant cupcake for somebody. And it was puffed up ink and there was sparkles in it. And we figured out how to homogenize and embed vanilla uh, scent into the inks. So it would smell like a vanilla cupcake. You you were a vanilla cupcake. Got it. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm understanding. Okay. Yeah. So it was, we would just go do weird, crazy stuff like that. We we did clothing companies that people that were, uh, were putting inks into cotton polyester blends that literally eat the cotton the first time you wash it. So it, it just leaves this mesh of polyester. It'd be just random weird stuff. But then we started bridging that into just other forms of manufacturing because we kind of got bored in the t-shirt industry. We're like, right, we've right. Got this cool team. What else can we make? And then next thing you know, it's sheet metal injection molding. Uh, we did orthopedic insoles, children's toys, nuclear reactor parts. We, we've Jesus. literally done everything. Yeah. <laughs> People. But they were all like challenging projects or somebody, either you came up creatively or they would come to you and say, hey, we want to do this. We don't know how to do it. Yeah. So usually the latter people would come okay. in and go, we've been working on this thing. I mean, I, I've gotten multiple phone calls from people I've never met and they go, are you Jason? Yeah. I got a really, uh, I have a hurdle that I need to cross. And I've talked to three of my friends and all three of them said the same name. Are you willing to sit down and talk about a project? Got it. So you got referred because they were like, listen, if you, anybody's going to figure this out, it's going to be Jason and his team. Yeah, exactly. And, and we've gotten tons of projects like that where people are just like, hey, I've got this huge hurdle in front of me. And they go, okay, well, call, call these guys. At very least, they'll know where to send you. And we'll pick up these projects that most people won't touch. But right. we're like, hey, I, we're, we're, as long as you're down to, to – understand that there's a development process. We're down to develop with you. And then they turn into usually large, large programs because if the customer is fighting that hard to figure out how to do it, it's because they know they need to do it over and over and over again. This is not a one-off game. Nobody puts that much work in for the one-off. Right, right, right. So, but you didn't have like a team of like PhD scientists and engineers. You're all kind of young people. You're figuring this stuff out just on your own. Yeah. um, So there's a couple of things. I mean, I go back to we now we buy legacy American manufacturing companies because what I learned back then was the guys who were or the guys and girls that were at retirement age, nobody was listening to them. Right. Everyone was looking at them, saying, oh, your ideas are old, they don't match the matter market. Well, here we are 15, 16 years old, and we learned that the people that would give us the most information were the people that everyone was casting out to pasture. Got it. And they were geniuses. They had, yeah, seen they had the most experience, of course. Yeah. So we just, that, that was our, our network. of. And it was funny because they'd like pass us around as cute little kids. Like, hey, you, you got to see And they're teaching you things, right? If you were 30, they probably would have been like, get out of here. Yeah. But we were so just, they were so green and frankly right. dumb that they were like, right. yeah, okay, just help these poor kids out. Right. And we, we've continued that till this day. Interesting. With the, with the companies that we buy these companies from is we keep all the owners on as advisors because they've seen everything. 
Like yeah. in the last 20 years, they've seen a 9-11 crash, a dot-com crash. Right. They've seen um, the 2008. They saw COVID. I mean, that's just in the last 20, two decades well, they, of their in careers. The 80s, they saw the tremendous stock market crash in the late 80s. Yeah. And that most of them have seen that. So like, yeah, they have seen so much and yet people don't listen. And you right. it just, it, it's almost baffling to yeah. me, but it's kind of our secret weapon. We just go yeah, in. Yeah. No, look, you guys. recognize something that people are too, too uh, short to discount and they don't realize that it's there. So did you stay with the company? You never went to college. You stayed with the company, kept working and doing everything. So I actually went to college for, if I remember correctly, about two years. And it's interesting because okay. I got most of my upper credits because they offered those classes at six and seven in the morning. But your general ed classes are offered midday. Right. Uh, so You're working. Yeah. And once I once I crossed into that line where I needed to start taking my general eds. Yeah. I was like, I, I what I'm going to leave at 11 o'clock to go do a 12 o'clock class. Like, and it, I had to make a decision. And I remember actually sitting with my father. I'll never forget this day. And like I said, he grew, he was on the factory side. And I remember going into him going, Hey, I'm gonna drop out of college. And he goes, okay, I'm going to tell you something right now that I can never, that, that I don't want to change your opinion, but just, I'm going to tell you something. Okay. Remember when you have a son, you're not, you're not going to be able to tell him to go. He goes, because I didn't go. And he goes, so I'm going to let you make this decision. But just remember, when you have a son, you, you're going to be in the same spot. And yeah. it's hard. And it stuck with me because I'm like, God, that is it's almost heart wrenching. Right. Well, he put it on you. Yeah. And, and yeah, I ended a smart up guy. about a week later, I, I made the decision. I was like and and I remember weighing in. It was I had 20, 20 25 employees at the time. Yeah. I remember going, okay, do I believe I can make this company work? And I, yes, I, I do believe that. If I go to school and I, I really go focus and get that done, do I believe that the company will work the same way? And, I, and it was, the answer was no. So I just made the decision. It, I, I felt at the time it was best for the company and for the employees. And looking back, I, I don't regret it. Yeah. But there, there's been a couple of days you're sitting there going, God, maybe. <laughs> Well, I don't think there's any correlation between success and a college education. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think everyone should get a college education, but there's plenty of people, a lot, that have not been successful with a college education and been very successful without a college education because I don't think they're really tied together. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, there's the different I, route I, is what it is. Just I, I've got some very well educated uh, business partners, and there are things that they know or have been taught that. I have not. So, but so you have them. Well, and that's They're your business partner. Ma you know? Make sure you well round your teams. <laughs> right. Exactly. Which you should because do when anyway, you do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You, you're going to do fine. And I mean, that's another thing that we went into is we do everything as a team because we all know each other's strengths and weaknesses. So, uh, with, with the fund, I've got, uh, we've got four general partners and, and a broader team. Uh, and, they are the support system. We all know where each other click. We when we go into a facility, it's yeah. funny because we all have very different things we're looking at. Remember, we were at a facility one time, and one of the guys came, and uh, and we walk out, and we've we're picking apart this this company. Yeah, and he goes, "Oh, so that one's off the list," and all of us are like, "No, no, 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 that one is perfect." And he goes, "But you all have a nitpick for it." We're like. We we found easy things to fix each one of us, so we'll we'll get this thing. We'll double it in the next couple of months. If you right. walk in and everything's flawless, well, then there's nothing to do. Exactly that that's good if it's if you plan to just kind of let it grow normally, right? But if you can find a couple of quick fixes, hey, that's that's instant EBDA that you right. can open up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so. So you're back. So you started expanding the company, you and your brother, you had people working for you. And what did you get into after, like, how'd you make the transition from there? You didn't just start an equity fund after that, right? No. So, so how'd you get out of the t-shirt business and start doing other things? So we, we gradually morphed where the t-shirt company was still running, but we started doing uh, in-store retail displays. So for okay. Best Buy, Costco. End cap type of things? In cap stuff. Got it. Okay. So, that is a really interesting space to be in 
because you are touching so many different types of manufacturing. If you look at a typical in cap, there'll be sheet metal work on it, woodworking on it, digital printing, plastic uh, assembly, injection molded parts, thermoformed parts, electronics assembled into them. So it puts you in this weird situation where it is not a defined role. And frankly, your customers want it to be different every single time than anything else they've done. Right. So we started in that industry, really buying out a lot of the work. And then we'd get frustrated with one vendor because their quality wasn't right or their timelines sucked or whatever it was. And we go, yeah. you know what? We're, we're going to build a, a plastics company. Or we're going to buy a plastic company or we're going to buy a button company or because that vendor was a, was difficult to deal with. You said, ah, the hell let's buy our own. Exactly. And, start and, our own. Right, yeah. Okay. And, and we're, our whole thing is service first, make sure the clients are very well taken care of. Right. Well, when somebody goes, Oh yeah, sorry, we're running behind by four weeks. You're like, well, but that's, that's not an a option, problem. Man. Right. Yeah. You run overtime, do whatever it does. We, we have a, a set date. Right. So we started buying or building all of these different operations internally. All that complemented each other. All that complements each other. And then all that were integrated to each other. Got it. Well, all of a sudden we've got extra capacity. <laughs> so we're like, oh, Take well, I mean, let's just service for other people. specific yeah. clients. <laughs> right. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So, so you were, so you, in theory, you were already building a private equity fund. You were just acquiring companies and they just kind of, they're all in the manufacturing space, right? Yeah, so we we were doing it pri- uh, privately with ourselves, and, right. and we were building most of our own companies. That, that, that was that was our way. Most to do of them it. were startups, and yeah, we we would go buy the equipment, learn how to do it, right? Tune it in, get it all like that. Got it. When we switched, uh, or when we started the private equity, really, what happened was we started to see more and more businesses coming up for sale in the manufacturing space, and these are. Businesses that a typical private equity can won't buy. Okay, why, why is that? Yeah, they're too mom and pop. Here's a word from our sponsors: Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment, or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners. Care for your health. Care for the planet and look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. So they're... 40, 50, 60 years old. Right. Their they don't system, have the paperwork, the financials, the systems that a private equity guy would needs to be comfortable with. Correct. And, yeah, and they're I know I deal with the businesses like this all the time. Yeah. And they're lower, they're lower mid-market. Right. So it's we're, we're we ended up in this weird spot where we started seeing these companies, and then I started realizing they weren't selling, which was right. even weirder. Well, because the buying pool is much smaller. You're not it's a tough it's tough. People 
don't really plan on selling their business until <laughs> later on. They don't equip it that way. And then you're missing financials and you guys are good at what you do and you get a feel for things, but you also get a, probably the benefit of lower pricing because we, they we, don't have the stuff to demonstrate certain things. We, we do. And we get a lot of seller carry on stuff because right. the majority of the customer, the clients that we're looking or companies we're buying, they are companies that oftentimes the owner thought their kids were going to take it. Right. But the kids were raised saying, go to college, right. don't get into manufacturing. Become a professional, this is a horrible stay industry. out of my business, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they talked it down because they wanted better for their kids. Right, but it kind of screwed them. It, it, well, it screwed them. And what happened was in the last 10, 15 years, the story changed. Okay. Manufacturing was in the US was not pretty 15 years ago. No. But technology, uh, cost of, uh, of good, uh, moving goods, all of that changed it in the opposite direction where these are great jobs. They're safe. They're clean. They're, right. But that, that stigma is still there. So the kids don't want the companies. Yeah. Right. So now I understand. We come in and for all intents and purposes, we almost act like the kids of the owners where it's, hey, I'm going to protect the legacy of this company. Right. We're going to. Which gonna is bring important to, to these guys. You know, they spent the whole lifetime building a company or running a company that their father built or whatever. And it's, it, it means a lot to them, even though, you know, you might not think that, but it does. Well, it does. And you got to remember for most of these people, their last name is on the building. I mean, yeah, that, that, exactly. was, that was the trend. You name it after yourself. Right. So, and these are in towns oftentimes in communities that they're significant in that community where they, they actually employ, I, we were, we're looking at a company right now that employs more people than the their headquarters is town has. I you just imagine the impact of a company like that. Right. Sure. So we have to, so we come in and basically go, Hey, we're going to protect your legacy. We're going to build this up together. We're going to move it to the next, the next uh, moment in history and modernize stuff and get it there. And what we're going to do is we're going to connect it to a national portfolio so that now, instead of being lower mid-market, you are now truly mid-market. Yeah, you get a lot of leverage than they did But have. we're going to do it by connecting you without losing the legacy that's within that community. So they're interconnected companies that are still individual nodes that are sharing information, tools, uh, data, customers, but they're still their own. And that, go, first off, goes a long way with the sellers. Goes yeah. a heck of a long way with the employees, and frankly, it's what is needed in the U.S. right now is to really preserve our communities and strengthen them as much as possible. Yeah. So we went one step further and said, "Hey," and we all sat down, and my brother and I go back to that initial conversation of, "We will never treat our employees like our father was." So we decided to do an employee stock ownership program and transfer hundred percent of the shares to the employees. So of that particular company, no, of the entire portfolio. Okay. So the oh, way so you that did our, a big ESOP of the, yeah, the uh, for the, the way our investors the whole global ent ent enterprise. Correct. So the way our, our investors exit and when liquidate at year about five to seven is we ESOP the entire portfolio to the employees. Got it. Now you're protecting that local community. It's a good, it's a great return on investment for the investors. It is, it, you've got frankly a guaranteed locked in buyer. So you're not trying to market time or any of that other crazy stuff. Yeah. So it's the, it's the, in our opinion, it's the best case for everybody. And it goes back to that core ethos of make sure the people are taken care of and that everybody in the system is winning. Okay. So you're not coming in and writing them a big check. What you're doing is, is you're saying, listen, you have a small business here. You might not have the best records in the world. We can turn this business around. We're going to give you stock in the company. Maybe there's some cash. I don't know how you exactly structured the deals. And then when you're ready to exit, you can sell it off in the ESOP pool, right? Correct. So and, and, smart well, and very, very smart. I like the model. Yeah. And it's a slightly different. So Every deal is completely different. Of um, course, but, you know, it depends but on the, the deal. The average is about, we purchase that is about three and a half to five X EBITDA. Okay. Sellers usually roll back into the fund with, with a chunk of their, their cash yeah, out. Take some they cash get, off the table. 
yeah, they get some cash and then yeah. they carry they carry some more. Right. Well, when we c- conglomerate that portfolio, nationally, and do they often stay on for a while? We ask that all stay on as advisors, and so okay. far, not a single one has ever not wanted to. Uh, so, because we go back to, it is really nice to be able to call them and go, have you ever seen anything like this? Right. Exactly. The, then be, with the ESOP, because we've conglomerated nationally, what we're looking at is a 10 to 12 X exit. Because, because you're the, a basically a multi-state operator. You got locations all over and, the place. You got a lot of leverage. Market. Sure. And, and, and the stability's there. So we ex- we expect the trustee to uh, value it ten to twelve x. So if we did nothing to these companies, we kind of have this just the multiple, in. right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I just interviewed so, a guy who's from a company called Mr. Jeff. They're like a laundry franchise business, okay. and basically what they do is they give the I mean systems, right, everything to run a laundromat. But the the laundromat business is very much like the dry cleaning business, which is like dead on a stick right now. Yeah. You you know you you don't get leverage as a local operator. Because you don't have access to data, you don't have access to national accounts. You guys can probably buy things, even supplies at a at a lower price than a small local manufacturing company can, because your your volume is much bigger, right? Oh, totally. And and frankly, like in a situation like we are right now with supply chain, yeah. When you can go, hey, um, in three weeks, I'm going to own this plant and that plant and this plant, all of which are customers of yours. I do expect that my supply chain issue is going to be lower than everyone else's. Right. You have much more competitive <laughs> supply chain because you control a lot of it. Yeah. And you're like, well, hey, if I have to switch the color at all, if I'm buying this color and, hey, I can't get it, I'm going to have to switch it at all of my plants. Right. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, how can we help you? And and it's the power of working together and having that portfolio complete. Sure. And, and then, of course, we try to compliment the companies. Hey, if you do one thing really well and you do one thing really well and you have customers that are opposite each other, let's use you, each other's vendor numbers to get into those customers. Sure. Right. So you're buying businesses. You want them to have some complementary nature to the, to the, to the business. You're not going to buy a company that builds tree houses when you have nothing to do with that industry. This doesn't make any sense, right? We, we will look at it, but usually, yes, we want them to make sense. There are sometimes you run across a deal that you're just you're like this would look really good in the like it's going to be a good number here and it makes a lot of sense and then what we'll do is they have something that can be used somewhere i have yet to ever see right. a company that we look at and go like a treehouse company well they're probably really good at woodworking yeah i would so think can i have them de- design the crate manufacturing side of my my two packaging companies yeah right if you're in manufacturing there's probably very little that you can't take advantage of or benefit exactly. from, right? So yeah. have you got, it's, it, you started 15 in manufacturing and it's been all manufacturing since then? It's all. That's all you guys do. <laughs> we, okay. That has been, it, it's, I've, I was that kid growing up that Legos and tractors were my absolute two favorite things. And yeah. it just hasn't changed. <laughs> I just have much larger tractors and very different Legos now. Yeah, well, when I was a kid, I'm older than you. Legos were just these little bricks, and you'd build anything you wanted. There wasn't like a a kit, and you build something <laughs> Star Wars. It wasn't it wasn't like that. You know, they turned that whole business around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, where? How many um, businesses do you own right now? Does the fund own? So the is fund considered a fund, basically, or is a holding company, or? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to put a number on how many businesses because there's. Entities within entities. Okay. Uh, there, we've got a couple more coming online in what we expect to be the next uh, couple of weeks. There's, it, it really, it fluctuates. It's a fund. So the, the portfolio is there. We're, I mean, we're currently in the sheet metal space, uh, lightly in the injection molding, packaging, okay. uh, displays, of course, still. Uh, we make the control panels for every nuclear uh, or every piece of GE nuclear equipment. Is that um, a company that you know bought and then improved? Yeah, that's a company we bought years. Okay. So a really interesting company. We actually bought them. Uh, An interesting business. Year, years and years ago. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget. We bought them for $75,000. We paid them off in two months. 
was best payoff we've or maybe it may have been three or four, but it was we all just kind of sat there. Like, There's a lot of things to fix that were easy. Well, no, it just it was a good company. The end. The owner wanted to retire. That that was it. it. It was simple as that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got and, it. And. And he wanted to make sure his people were, and actually at that point he was down to one person, but the person had been there for 25 years. So I remember on the the signing, he goes, just make sure he's always taken care of. And I'm like, dude, of course, like until this day, that guy still runs that company and he does an amazing job. And I, I, I love to, I, I love to know the fact that we held true to the thing we promised at that day at closing. Yeah. Now are most of your companies on the, Western half of the country, or are they all over the place? Or so they're they're, all, they're coming online all over the place. Of course, originally uh, we're from California, so there's a right. heavy West Coast presence right now. Uh, right now, we're working on both something in uh, Texas, another thing in Arkansas, and we've got one that we've been working on that uh, branches about six plants through the entire kind of Mississippi line. So, and you're really working on the business these days. I mean, you're not involved with right you, you're are you on the acquisition side and analyzing the businesses and finding opportunities or are you working in some of the businesses all of it you're doing the, it all the, the, i go back to the reason why most pe can't function in this space is because they they don't have the connection to the the floor of the business so right there's yeah, a hands-on aspect right yeah i i spend a lot of my time on the MA side, on the financing side, on the running of the businesses. But I also spend a ton of time on the factory floors. I, I, and that is, I actually, in all fairness, probably do a better job as a leader for the business from the floor than I ever could from a desk. It, it's you, it, manufacturing, and every industry tries to say this, but it's special manufacturing, it's people business. Right. Oh, for sure. I mean, some it's, of it's uh, automated, but at the end of the day. But the reality is you sell, running those robots, you, you sell right? labor. Yeah. Right. That, that is that is a huge chunk of the industry is labor. If you lose touch with that, and I will, I'm the first to say, there have been times in my career where crazy things are happening on the business side. So you start losing touch a little bit there. And, yeah. and I've had other partners of mine come up to me and go, hey, can you just go spend some time with everybody? And it snaps me out of it. I'm like, oh, of course. And then we just, I'll go take two, three weeks and be like, hey, what do we work on on the floor today? What are right. we doing here? How do we do that? Let's work on this. Right. Yeah. So are you traveling a lot? You have to go to a these lot. different places on the road had, all the time. I had uh, three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago. I went, I drove from Austin, Texas to Dallas, Dallas to Little Rock. Little Rock to Northern Arkansas, Northern Arkansas to Memphis. This is driving. Memphis, yes, we drove every single one of these. You have an RV, or are you just no, in a car? We had a suburban and all At least of the it's GTs. A suburban. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then to Memphis, and then somehow one of the partners convinced everybody to drive from Memphis to Cocoa Beach, Florida. <laughs> so, better than it's better than California to Cocoa Beach, yeah, Florida. I, I, you know, but still, it's we, Tennessee. What is it? Uh, 15 hours, 18 hours? I, th- I think it was 16, something like that. Okay. And it was, but we we drove it because it was better for us all to be trapped in our own capsule together and, and talking about what we're seeing at each one of these plants and how to work on them and how to, hey, I think we need to allocate this to that. Right. So it was, it and we were spending about a day at each plant that we're stopping at. And it was definitely a, we got home of, we were all very tired, but we got so much done that you can't do without actually going and talking and meeting with people. Okay. I got two questions for you um, differently. Okay. So you've seen a lot of companies. You've met a lot of owners over your travels. You're still a young guy, but you've seen a lot of companies. Guys, look, what would you think? What do you see a lot of these guys do wrong? Are, Are there like, consistent things that you find business owners in this space do wrong, don't, you know, miss or whatever, or is it all over the board? And what, what are those things? So, so uh, define wrong, it, wrong in trying to sell their business, wrong in running their business, Yeah, running their business, operating their business from, a you know, in terms of, look, you buy, you have a business, you want it to grow, make money, live a good life. What are the things you think you see they do wrong from running their business? 
It's a simple sentence. This is the way we do it. That's what they say. Yep. Well, that's how everybody does it. Who's everybody? I don't know. Everybody does. That's what they they say to do. Who's they? You ever get this? Why do do you guys take out the trash at two o'clock every day? That's how we we do it. That's when we do it. Right. And it's like, but, but think it like, why? Under and what? So it's a failure to really look at why you're doing things. And if that makes sense or not, just as opposed to just, I don't know. We always took the garbage out at two o'clock on Tuesday, you know, and, and what, maybe that's dig, not the best day. Right. Well, if we dig what ends up, what we end up finding out and I'll, I'll use an example of a, of, of one that we ran into. Why do you, um, why do you load the steel like that? Okay. Well, because we load it like that. Yeah, but, but does anybody know why you did it? Well, right. we'd start digging in and one time a piece of steel was too greased and it slid and it hit something. So they're doing this incredibly inefficient thing because 20 years ago, one problem popped up. Right, which could probably could have been solved other ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we but what what you realize is that the really good companies are the ones when you ask them, hey, why do you do that? They, have a they good go, answer. oh, because what we tried doing it like this and right. well, that kind of bent that way. And they understand why they do their basic things. Right. They're not just wandering through following, you know, one guy tells this guy, he tells that guy. And I go, I don't know. John told me to do it that way. He asked John. John goes, well, Robert told me that uh, three years ago. Robert learned, <laughs> right? And then you find out. So it's really a, a failure to really be, let's say, curious about your business, right? To know why you do things, how you do things. Are they efficient? And there are, and you find these companies where there's better ways to do things. Is that what it comes down to? Oh, totally. And no. and it's a balance. I go back to we we look at every deal completely as big picture, independent. Because okay, I have yet to ever walk in a company that everything every single thing was being done away that I thought it should be done. Yeah, of course, never the case. Right. But what we actually look for is if I recommend if I go, hey, have you guys thought about it like this? The best sellers respond, can you tell me why, why you're thinking to do it that way? The worst ones go, yeah, we tried that once. It didn't work. Right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and you're just like, close my, I don't know like, if I didn't open. finish the sentence yet. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you really, there's a balance going on there that you really, you want to work with. The other one too, is the seller, the day you own the business, all intents and purposes no longer has a say. Right. But if we're having anything combative with the seller, yeah, they're off the books because the reality is most likely they're that combative with their people. Yeah. Which means I have such an uphill battle training or training people to understand that we want their opinions heavily. Right. Building trust. He didn't do that. And that is a very, very hard thing to do. I, I've, I've had you shy away from those situations when you find out pr- pretty much just puts uh, a I mean, bad taste in your mouth. There's always the one that we're like, Hey, this if is you so this- good. We'll, we'll deal with it. But yeah. Yeah. And every once in a while you'll meet like a guy like that. And then his GM you realize has been his whipping boy for a long time. And, and it's really just not like he's taking all of it. Yeah. And no, the employees are feeling none of it. And then, you know, hey, I've got an amazing built-in person to take this over. So that will change the tone there because now you have one person to earn the trust of, not the entire company. Got it. So we we look for a ton of different factors. It's it's really interesting to sit down with the partners after we vet something and watching people just pick apart. Okay, well, I think this, I want to look at this. Let's go look at that. And you, I mean, you really can figure out a business very quickly if you just start talking to the people inside of it. Right. No. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And I guess it's a learning opportunity for you guys. I mean, nobody gets the opportunity to evaluate a lot of businesses over their yeah. lifetime. They really don't. Maybe they buy one, sell one. Have a, I've met guys who were you and I would consider serial entrepreneurs and they've bought and sold not at half a dozen businesses. <laughs> Because <laughs> one person, how many can you do? But if you're, you know, constantly building things. So, so looking back or even currently, well, what are the things that you think like that you've learned 
that you do differently? If you're giving advice to an entrepreneur getting started, maybe they're not 15, but maybe they're 25, 30, 35, kind of advice would you would you give them? Really, first off, the, the ego's got to get checked. Okay. It's you, there. Not there's helping. No, it does not huh? help you. It doesn't help you, right? It, yeah. There, there's, but the counter of that is confidence is absolute key. Right. You you must believe in in what you're doing. The other one is, and I learned this from a friend of mine years ago, or he put it into context for me really well. Yeah. And it was making decisions. People make decisions too slow. And he goes, think about it this way, Jason. Can you, if you've got an A, B, okay. Instead of thinking is A right or is B right. Right. If I choose B and I'm wrong, how quickly can I notice and how much effort and resources does it take to switch to A? Right. Well, there's no question about it. We get committed to things emotionally and we just hang on well, for and, no and, good reason. Well, yeah. and what it taught us was you can make decisions and just ha- just tell everybody who is outside of the decision circle, go, hey, I'm doing this I instead of this, but here's where I see there might be flaws. Yeah. And they will then keep eyes out and keep you honest with yourself and go, hey, 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 that thing you talked about is coming up. We need to look at it. And then you're like, oh, okay, maybe we made the wrong decision, go the other direction. So really that decision-making and understanding that chances are you're going to be wrong. Right. But it's how you recover from being wrong that makes it the right decision. Always. So so where there's some companies, can you think of an example of some companies and purchases you made that were just a bust, just you thought were great? Maybe not you, you yourself, but collectively you guys were like, we can do a lot with this thing. And you were just way off. Yeah. I, we, we did one of those years ago. Uh, we had a really good opportunity and I needed a, uh, I needed a, a, a plastics company okay. uh, to make it. And we met an owner. He was wonderful. And we bought his company and what we, we, we missed that the company that we weren't, and this is way before the fun. This is uh, yeah, probably early on early ago. days. Okay. And we realized that we bought his company on the merit of what it was going to do for a project we had outside of the company instead of buying his company on its own merit. And, and, and it was a mistake. Uh, we, we, we learned from it. And yeah. now we every company must stand on on its own merit, and then we can look at what our adding it to our system does. But it, it was it was a learning experience, and that 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 project kind of fizzled over here. The company wasn't structured correct, and and it just it, it caused pain. But it was part of that process, and and we and now it's completely changed how we look at companies. Any company we buy must stand on the merit by which we're buying it, without any external source. Right, because if right, because if that project disappears and the company's not viable, then you got a big problem. Which I guess yeah, well, and it's it's a risk balance. So now I've got two possible positives for this company right. and only one possible negative. Yeah, it, it makes me win a heck of a lot more. Right, right. Well, good advice for people that are listening. I think that a lot of people, uh, you know, they get started in business and they just kind of jump in and they don't have any process in which which we make. And I, and I had a neuroscientist on my podcast a while ago, and he wrote a book called Never Go With Your Gut. And, you know, it's about, which it sounds to me like you guys do the same thing. It, it's about having processes that you use to, and you adjust them a little bit, right? But, but you, where you evaluate things and make decisions that are consistent, that work for you, as opposed to going in there and Wow, this place smells great. I think we can do a lot here. And you don't really look past the things that you're supposed to look at every single time, you know, because then that avoids the mistakes. Like you said, if we screw this up, where do we go from here? That's a good process, right? Because it always, it doesn't mean it doesn't eliminate mistakes, but eliminates the impact of your mistakes on the rest of the company, right? Well, yeah. And the other, side of that is if you can't do that personally, and I've met a lot of great entrepreneurs who cannot acknowledge when they're wrong. Right. Well, so that's a shortcoming. It just really is. And, but these guys, I mean, guys who have made 
so many millions of dollars that it, they could pay for everything in the world over. And right. Over. So, but there's a commonality with all those. They surround themselves by a bunch of people they don't get along with right. or that they don't see at all eye to eye with. Right. So that even if they can't acknowledge they're wrong, there's 20 people around them telling them they're wrong. Right. And, and that is, that works. I, I, I'm not, I, I'm very fortunate that I've actually, I love when people prove me wrong. Cause it means I, I chose the right people. Um, right. So, yeah. I feel but, the same way. You can't always be right. I'm like, well, nobody has any comments. No, it looks great. Can't yeah. be great. It can't be great. I, I am one person, right? Well, so, so I look at like my, my GPs and I've had multiple people turn to me like, none of you make any sense being friends. No, really? <laughs> and, but we are the best. I mean, these are, these are four of my best friends in the world. Right. But one, one of them's really into sports. One of them is really into being out in the outdoors. One of them's really, really creative and artistic. <laughs> None of us make sense together. <laughs> right. No, but maybe you do because you bring different skills and a different purview to the yeah. same entity, the same transaction. So you're all going to look at it differently. Well, and it's wonderful like that because yeah. we, we honest to God, look at every single thing completely different through different yeah. lenses. And then we'll sit there and go, well, this thing has a problem there. Well, but I can fix that problem. How about that problem? Oh, no, I, I got that. And you start putting it all together. You're like, oh, okay. This team, th- this is a good position for us to be in. Or sometimes one of them be like, that is impossible to fix. Well, is that important? Well, it's the thing I do and that's important. So it's impossible to fix. I can't, I, this, this thing won't work. And we've had deals go like that too, where one partner's just like, I, I know everyone else loves it. But here's this, the My problem. side of the business is not, it's not reparable. Right. Right. Yeah. I understand that. Well, at that, that's, uh, you know, it's a lot to be said for that and, and having a good team and learning to work with people. And I think that you're right. People, they're stubborn, they're stuck on their own beliefs and they won't accept. And you know what? They don't get the input from their people that they should when the people are all on the same team and all marching in the same direction and all cheering each other on and point, you know, constructively pointing things out to people that aren't working and whatever. And sometimes there's a boss that people are just afraid of and they, they don't, they, you know, they don't respond. So it's, it's good that you recognize all that stuff. So how can people learn more about you, about the companies, about what you guys are doing outside of the podcast, obviously? Yeah. So um, about the company, go to MRCA.net on there is a link in the show notes. Awesome. On there is a link to invest with us. If, if you're interested in that, uh, there's also information on what we're doing on the team we've got. Also on there is a link to schedule time directly on my calendar or okay. uh, other GPs. We open up to anyone. You want to discuss something, discuss your business, discuss selling us your business, discuss how to cook cookies. I we don't really we don't really care. We're down to talk. We're very much about sharing your information. If you want to follow information with me, the best way is uh, is on LinkedIn. Okay. It, I like LinkedIn. Jay Sansevito and Marcia, it pops right up. Okay. We, I, I, there's kind of a constant content stream up there of things that both me and the company are thinking are interesting, uh, things that are changing in the world that we are kind of pushing out to people. There's, the, there's starting to be more and more updates of us stopping at the plants and going out and checking out cool local community events cool. that exist throughout this country. So, any, uh, uh, any particular businesses that you're looking at right now in, you know, that do certain things. Like you said, one does sheet metal. The other one does extract yeah, anything, I, anything I, on the I'm, drawing I'm board. I'm pretty sure if I said the ones we're currently looking at, I'd get in a little bit of trouble. Okay, so. good. They'd have to shoot me on the podcast. I don't want yeah, you to do that. I, unfortunately, ones I'm looking at only come up once we're closed. Okay, good. All right. So, Jason, I can't thank you enough. I know it's a little bit earlier where you are, but um, it's uh, almost dinner time where I am. And now it's getting dark. I think there's a storm coming in. So, I will. Uh, let's definitely stay in touch. I want to follow your story awesome. and see what you guys are doing. And if people are listening, check you out at uh, MRCA.net and on LinkedIn. Thanks, Mitch. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, 
reach out to us by email at info at beinhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.